0: of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at JoinMIDI.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day low. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello there. I am here. I am Eric Erickson. This is the third hour, and I am delighted to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I actually am. Uh, Bob, I, I'm, I can't really read you the comment that my producer wrote down for your call but said this is a perfect call for a friday afternoon and so bob i'm going to you first I, i'm excited to take your phone call how are you
2: thank you i've been uh, long listening been you know listening to you for a long long time uh, and i really enjoy your show the reason i was calling I was calling in reference to global warming and uh you know one of the issue is that uh how to control the methane uh that of course from you know, It comes from the cows, and most of it is the cows. And so I did some research. Uh, I don't know how, how accurate it is, but what I read was uh, on Google, I believe it was. Anyway, there's a billion cows in this world. I don't know who cowed them, but anyway, that's what that's what it said in, in Google. And uh, we have about 100 million in, in the U.S., uh, and there's about 90 million in China. And there's 250 million in argentina but there's 300 million in india and i think if i'm not mistaken cows are sacred in india mm-hmm. so how do we control those cows <laughs> does that make any sense
1: look um you, you look first of all you're you're not wrong you, your data is sound uh, there are a billion cows on planet huh. earth Oh, oh 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 oh, I, ooh. if I were a younger man, I would make a joke about my sisters, Bob, but I've grown up and matured now, so I won't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. right. uh, oh, I used to get in trouble. Oh, gosh, yes, uh, there are a billion cows. Um, and by the way, that's up 13.2 million from last year. Uh, and yet we oh, can't okay. con- we can't control the global cattle. Um, and so what we're, what they're asking us to do is to trust that China and India will control their own emissions, which I don't believe is going to happen.
2: No. And besides that 250 million, I believe that's the last number in Argentina. And that's a big, you know, that is a a lot of money coming into Argentina because a lot of their, uh, I've spent some time in Europe and a lot of their meat, uh, is sent over to Europe. And uh, so a lot of the, uh, you know, I doubt sincerely they're going to go ahead and just fold up, the, you know, and say, OK, we're not going to have any more cows now. That's that's a big that's a, a lot of money coming to that country. Uh, but anyway, I just yeah. I'm looking at it as, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Plus, the fact that it's not going to do very much for your um, Omaha steaks, you know, relying <laughs> yeah. on us. I
1: salivate every time you, you talk about it. I'm you telling know, they you, look, the, they're good. Uh, that they, they got 100% satisfaction guarantee too. Listen, Bob, but let me let me give that. everybody the numbers here on, on this. And thank you for the phone call. Uh, so Argentina, which is known for its stakes. I got a buddy of mine who wants to do a trip to Argentina uh, to go, I guess, fly fishing down there in sightsee. And, and I want to go with him. And Argentina has 53,831,000 cattle. Australia has 23 million. Uh, Belarus has 4.3 million. Uh, You know who has the largest number of cows on planet Earth? India, 305,500,000. Number two, Brazil, 252,700,000. Number three is China, 95,620,000. Number four is the United States, 93559000 uh, We can't control the emissions from their cow farts and belches. We just can't. And we're not going to. And this is the problem. Uh, you know, I, I I might as well get back to this because it, it's been a while since I've talked about this. The Democrats... Continue this whole idea that we've got to do something for climate change. We've got to stop our emissions. If the United States were to stop all of its emissions tomorrow, emissions tomorrow, the world would still warm. China and and India, Brazil, Russia, developing countries around the world, most of Africa, I mean, we're, we're not going to stop these things. We should learn to adapt. That may mean uh, higher insurance rates for beach houses make it more expensive for me whenever I can buy my house in Hilton Head. Might have to have beach walls. Might have to learn from the Dutch on containing the sea. Might have more violent storms. But we're going to have to adapt. And the world uh, lives in a fiction. The the Western world lives in a fiction that we're really going to do all this stuff. and, And we're not. And the problem here is how it inspires the nut jobs. If you really believe the world is going to come to an end in the next decade, unless we do something, aren't you going to go do something? Aren't you going to take action? So I I saw an interesting quote. I I, I forget now. It wasn't JT English. I forget which pastor it was. But he put up a tweet. I think it was last night. It might have been this morning. But, man, it'll preach. If you're a pastor and you can't figure out what to preach on Sunday, this will preach. There are a whole lot of people willing to kill for Christ. Very few willing to die for him. Peter was willing to take a sword and kill for Jesus. Then denied him three times to avoid himself being entrapped and killed whole lot of people are willing to die for Jesus or kill for Jesus, very few willing to die for Jesus. Secularly, secularism is becoming a religion and the secular religion has a horrible eschatology. Eschatology, I mentioned this with the, with a caller, Eschatology is your your study of the end times. Are you a premillennialist, a postmillennialist? They're the weird ones. Uh, An amillennial. Now, I will tell you, I'm I'm halfway between an amillennial and a premillennial. Premillennial is we live in the time before Christ, and Christ will return. And yeah, I, I I agree, but I'm I'm in the amillennial camp in that I don't think it necessarily matters per se in that I have absolute faith Jesus Christ will return, the wicked will go to hell, those of us who put our faith in him will go to heaven, and all things will be made new. And I think our job in the meantime is not to worry about are we pre- or post-millennial, but it's to save souls for Christ. That is my worldview. And the eschatological worldview of Christianity, regardless of whether you're pre or post or amillennial, is that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and God will reside with mankind for all time, and there will be eternal peace for those who've put their faith in Christ Jesus. What's the eschatology of the secularists? They want heaven on earth. They don't believe in an eternity. They do not believe in an afterlife, or they may, some of them do, but overwhelmingly, it's this this weird view of the afterlife uh, that that more and more, as as secularism goes, more and more atheist is, uh, we die, the worms eat our body, and we have the circle of life. Cue the Lion King music. And our job is to bring heaven to earth. We are the ones we've been waiting for. You remember that line? We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change we've been looking for. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or if we wait for some other time. We are the ones We've been waiting for Barack Obama. We are the ones we've been waiting for, for change. The left views themselves as change agents. They are their own Messiah. The problem with this worldview is that how do you get to your utopia? Now, with my worldview, I am charged in my religion by my God to love my neighbor and it does not matter if my neighbor is gay or straight or transgender or black or white or progressive or conservative or Democrat or Republican or Hispanic or Chinese. It doesn't matter. I'm to love my neighbor. And that means I gotta be a good neighbor. It means I gotta be the guy in the neighborhood who people say, you know what, I'm going out of town. Can I leave my key with you so you take care of my house? It does not mean, now, there are some brain biblical donkeys out there who think, oh, my gosh, my neighbor's gay. I'm going to love them so they don't go to hell, so I'm going to tell them every day, repent, repent, repent. No, you're just a biblical donkey there. You're not actually a good neighbor when you do that. My God tells me, love my neighbor. Put my faith in him, and he will change me. Christianity is the only non-self-savific religion on planet Earth. Every religion from Islam to Hinduism is you do these things, and you get to the afterlife. Uh, With Christianity, there's only one thing you do, give yourself to Christ, and then he does everything else. Makes it very easy for you. It's not easy, but you put your hands in him. But that gets to secularism and and, and environmentalism and climate change. What's their eschatology? The eschatology is that we all must give up our way of life to save not ourselves but the planet. And by saving the planet, we save not ourselves but our future. But there's a problem here. With my eschatology in my religion, it's my personal relationship with my Savior, Jesus Christ, and you may burn in hell, but I'm not going to. With secularism, we're all going to burn in hell. No matter what I do to save the planet, no matter I buy a Tesla, I put solar panels on my house, I put a windmill in my backyard, I never fly again, I don't eat meat, I become a vegan, I do everything right, I do every damn thing right to save the planet, and you don't, which means I'm going to hell too, because you're bringing about the apocalypse. The only way to save myself in secularism is to shut you up and force you on pains of government punishment to change your ways. This is why secularism leads to all of the major uh, loss of human life in history, from the Nazis to the communists, to you name it secularism always leads to mass executions because the salvation of one is dependent on the silencing of the dissenter who refuses to get along. That's why we're going to see in this climate change crisis, as the left calls it as it's coming, we're going to start seeing violence. We're going to start seeing environmental activists blowing up pipelines. We're going to see environmental activists gunning people down. We're going to see environmental activists do all sorts of things because they fundamentally, philosophically believe the world is coming to an end in less than a decade unless we change our ways. And we are not going to change our ways. In 10 years, we're not. In 10 years, the majority of cars in the United States will still be burning gas. In 10 years, the majority of Americans will still be eating cows. In 10 years, the majority of Americans will still not have net zero carbon footprints. In 10 years, Americans will still be flying places on planes fueled by aviation fuel. That is fossil fuel burning. Which means in 10 years, if the world is really going to come to an end, it's going to come to an end. And they don't want it to happen. The eschatology of secularism is angry hordes of people lashing out violently to punish you so that they can get a better life. It's the exact opposite of Christianity. I literally don't have to do a single thing to you to have eternal life in my faith. But if you're a secularist secularist to have eternal life, an everlasting, better life. You got to shut me up and get me out of my, uh, get me out of my Yukon Denali and get me to stop grilling in the backyard and get me off the power grid. You got to do a lot of things to me for you to have your utopia, where in my religion, I have to do nothing to you to have my eternity, except try to love my neighbor and be a good witness and glorify God. That's it. That's why secularism is so violent and so dangerous ultimately, and that's why I think uh, we're not going to reduce the number of cows who produce methane who cause global warming on this planet, and what we're probably going to start having is a bunch of environmentalists start going out there and shooting cows in the middle of the night and blowing up pipelines. It's the only way for them to get their peace on earth and goodwill towards men, which is not very much goodwill. Okay, I, I want to state something that should be obvious that may not be obvious for people. I like a high thread count sheet, but if the threads are crap, the sheet's going to be crap no matter how many uh, threads you need. It just, it, it's it's amazing how people want to highlight that. And the reason I highlight this is because Bowling Branch makes high quality sheets and they're not a bajillion, bajillion thread count either, but their threads are super high quality. They use 100% organic cotton threads. They give super softness. You get a better night's sleep. They're not just buttery, soft, and breathable, impossibly soft to start. They get softer with every wash. I can attest to this. Every time you wash them, they just seem to get a little softer and they hold up so well over the long term. You know, I'm on, gosh, maybe my second set of Bowling Branch sheets in in a decade or so. They just hold up so well. They're a quality product and- They give you such a good night's sleep. Oh, my gosh. They're so fantastic. I really do love these sheets, and I love Bolin Branch. You can, too. They are fantastic. They're so luxurious. Three U.S. presidents sleep under Bowling Branch sheets. So you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlingBranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D Branch.com. The promo code is ERIC. Get a good night's sleep under Bolin Branch sheets. Hello there. Welcome back. I hope you're having a great day. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Travis, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program.
2: Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you taking my call. Um, This is a first-time caller and a long-time listener. Well, thanks Um, for calling. I've a question. uh, Yeah, my pleasure. Um, With the national debt where it is, what are the odds the U.S. would declare bankruptcy to all other countries um tap our resources and what would that do or look like?
1: Well okay, wait wait, who would declare bankruptcy? The US on our national debt. Oh wait, well we for what can't. We, owe. We, we 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 can't um because we have the full faith and credit clause in the Constitution. Um so I I mean in in theory I guess we could, but in principle If we tried to declare bankruptcy as a nation over our national debt, uh, that would allow the Supreme Court, in theory, to step in and and restructure our budget to pay our bills because we're required under the Constitution to pay all of our debts. This was put in historically by the founders when the French weren't sure we were actually going to pay them back for helping us with the revolution And so we had to put in the full faith and credit clause in the Constitution uh, to reassure everyone who, after we were set up as a nation and we still wanted money coming, that we would legally be bound by our debts. Now, interestingly enough, the bulk of our American debt, contrary to, to what I used to think and what a lot of people do, the bulk of our debt is not actually with China and other countries. It's actually with Americans and American bondholders uh, and that money will get paid back. One way to pay it back is to grow the economy. You know, one of the downsides of the Biden economy right now is that with interest rates going up, uh, it's going to cut into our discretionary spending and require we put more focus on paying uh, the interest on the national debt. That in and of itself is going to cause all sorts of problems for us uh, moving forward, just economically uncertain times. Oh, which reminds me, this is a good time and a perfect segue to tell you if you're a business and you're looking for loans right now and you're having a hard time, uh, look to First Liberty Building and Loan, uh, firstlibertyga.com. Only for businesses, not for individuals. Firstlibertyga.com is their website. Tell them I sent you. Uh, they want to help you get to yes, where a lot of banks are telling people no. And it's gonna, it's gonna come back now, uh, more and more as more and more banks just deeply curtail their lending to people as we head into more uncharted economic times. Energy prices in Europe are up 45%. That has a spillover effect to us because of the import-export market and what uh, the costs of things that are imported here from Europe and the uh, ability to buy exports from us to Europe. We're in deeply uncertain economic times, and Putin does have a lot to blame. He really does. But also, uh, the president of the United States and his economic policies have caused a lot of problems here. They never should have dumped as much money into the economy as they did. Larry Summers warned them about it, and it's going to lead us continually to more and more calamity over time. All right, when we come back, I want to take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. But also, uh, if you live in a city in America, there are these things you can see called skyscrapers in most places, or tall buildings at least. What's going to happen to them now that COVID's over and a lot of people don't actually want to come back to the office? Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. And by the way, you can, uh, if you text the word RECIPE to 33777. I don't even know what I'm going to send out this coming Wednesday, but I'm going to send out some measure of deliciousness for everyone. Um, I did send out the Krispy Kreme bread pudding recipe, as I promised this uh, past Wednesday. And in fact, if you text recipe to 33777, You'll get the link back, and you'll be able to see it for yourself. You can go get that recipe. You can make it this weekend. If you're somewhere not near uh, Krispy Kreme donuts, it's okay because you can use anybody's donuts. It's just we all know Krispy Kremes are the superior donut to everyone else's donuts. So uh, I just figured I would share with you that point. But text the word recipe, uh, singular, not plural, recipe, to 33777 and uh, you can get back my recipe, and uh, you can make your donuts, and also I will send you more recipes every Wednesday. I send them out. Okay, Uh, I want to talk about something before I get back to phone calls. Those of you on the phones, be patient. I'll get to you. So in, in my flagship station, WSB in Atlanta, where I broadcast from, Uh, we got a traffic team and that traffic team, they ride helicopters. And one of the guys who's in the helicopter often is smiling, Mark McKay. And he has an amazing Instagram page, smiling, Mark, no G in the smiling, smiling, Mark WSB. And he puts these pictures of the amazing Atlanta skyline in. He's such a great photographer from the helicopter. And it's always buildings, lots of buildings. And a lot of these buildings have been empty buildings since the start of the pandemic. And it does, in fact, make me wonder what's going to happen to all these buildings as the pandemic ends. Now, I say this in large part because uh, Google and Apple are telling their employees it's time to go back to work. And if it's time to go back to work, they got to go back to their offices and their buildings. Are they going to go back? In fact, a lot of younger workers have decided they don't want to go back to work. And my suspicion is this is going to cause some employers a hard time. If I were an employer, now in full disclosure here, so I typically work out of my house. My office is a wreck. It's been a wreck. I've told myself all week when my wife and kids are out of town that I would clean it up. I haven't done anything. I haven't done nothing. My office is a, I mean, I'm ashamed. I could, can't even show you the pictures of my office. I, I I need an office out of the house. I need more affiliates and advertisers so I can get out of the house. I really, really want an office. I miss having an office, just as an aside. Uh, So I was when I was a lawyer, I was a lawyer into 2005, and then in 2006 kind of left office work and started working on the house. And for a time, it was great. When we had small kids, it was great. But as your kids get older, particularly during the summer, I love my kids. But during the summer when they're home, it would be nice to have an office that I can go hide in. No, I've got one at uh wsb in atlanta but i'm about an hour and 15 minutes from the office and i go up once a week or so just to keep up with the office gossip and stuff and it would be nice to have an office like near my house where i can go every day and get all this crap out of our house uh you know one of the downsides of this in all honesty is that like my wife's got her sewing room the kids have their bedrooms so anything that's mine, if I'm out of town, they just pack up and they put it in my office. So I will clean my office up before they get home tomorrow and it'll be spotless and I will dust. And by next week, there'll be piles and piles of crap everywhere again, because if they think it's dad's, it goes in dad's office and dad travels and is busy and doesn't have time to sort it all. I could use a real office. But what about all this office space that's out there? I would love to go to an office on a daily basis. Increasingly, though, Americans have seen they can work from home. Now, this is a problem. It actually is an economic problem for Americans to work from home. It's a problem because as Americans work from home, there is a massive array of infrastructure in the United States built up for people to work from an office space. There are internet connections and fiber lines built into downtown and midtown areas of cities in order to be able to do it. There are uh, buildings and there are restaurants and all of the infrastructure and the buildings and the restaurants and the like, they all depend on the idea of having someone show up at an office to work. My office space, we finally have not only reopened, but we've gotten rid of the masking mandate for people who are vaccinated. Thank goodness. And people are slowly trickling back into offices, but I do wonder, like the WeWork cooperative office space and stuff, uh, they were on hard times. Uh, these these shared office spaces when uh, COVID happened, and now, so this is a story from uh, December of last year in the Atlanta Journal. Co-working companies hope to find clients, uh, to seek a new balance after COVID-19, uh, where employees are floating in and out. Some working from home, some working in the office. The problem here is that this is someone who is working in an office and working at home, but he's got a company and he's not going to their office. I'm afraid we're going to have more economic turmoil here. We got a lot of skyscrapers in America. And those skyscrapers depend on people filling office spaces. And if people aren't filling the office spaces, what's going to happen to the skyscrapers? I would assume that there will generally be offices and businesses willing to fill them. I would assume. But, you know, Silicon Valley is having a trouble. Apple built its massive ring. If y'all haven't seen, it, it, it is honestly worth Googling Apple's office space in Cupertino, California. Steve Jobs, it was the last project Steve Jobs, the old CEO of Apple, did before he died. Steve Jobs built this building. He oversaw it. He designed it. It is a perfect circle. It's not an oval. It's a circle. It's a remarkable office space. It is an office space that if I were to work in an office, I would. If I were to work in that office, I would. I wouldn't want to be there every day. But Apple's younger employees, they don't want to go back to work. They built them this immaculate, beautiful space with a wonderful gym and a cafeteria and all of this, and they don't want to go back to it. And therein lies the trouble. Silicon Valley is going to have hard real estate times if they can't get people to come back into the office. But then there's the other problem. There's the other side of it, traffic. Traffic in Atlanta, where I am, is actually pretty crap today. Uh, Traffic in Atlanta has not been great today, uh, in large part because of people headed out on spring break. Uh, Spring break times and things like that. Traffic has not been good. Uh, But otherwise, ooh, yeah, I'm looking at the traffic map right now. Yep, people are headed out on spring break. It's the last big push. Some people are coming back. A lot of people are going out of town for spring break. And otherwise, traffic's not that bad. So if traffic's not bad in your area now because people are working from home, I got to tell you, in Atlanta, where my office is, I've been going up. It's been remarkable compared to two years ago how much better traffic is. It's starting to get worse, and there are times of day where it's still really bad, but overwhelmingly, it's way better than it used to be. And I don't know how companies are going to come to terms now with dealing with all this. I'm just, I'm fascinated by the dynamic. I don't want to keep talking about it. I don't want to bore you guys with it, but it's an interesting dynamic. I don't know that there are good answers for, particularly as younger workers, Gen Zers. Now, everybody talks about millennials, but the millennials are like 35 and up now. It's the Gen Zers. They're getting out of college. They they've, haven't been in dorms because of COVID. They're headed into offices. Some of them have already been there for a while they've been working remotely and it turns out they've been productive working remotely. And these people are thinking, I've been productive. Why should I have to go to an office? But like Apple has told its employees, the reason you have to come to the office is because we're dreamers and collaborators. Now it's pretentious Apple language. I know, but think about how many ideas come up just through regular interaction in an office. It's one of the things I miss about not being in an office all the time is is being able to interact. Now like um, Charlie and I talk on the phone regularly and then Philip will come over and, and we'll hang out on the front porch and, and drink bourbon and smoke cigars and we'll have talks about life and stuff and it inevitably comes back to work and we'll occasionally have really good ideas and from those ideas we'll proceed with something we hadn't thought of before. But that's us. We're a small outfit. What about the big companies? When you're not in the office and you're not interacting and you're not having those organic conversations inside the office, how many ideas are going to be left by the wayside because people just aren't there to talk to each other? In addition to all the economic fallout from the closing of restaurants because there isn't a lunchtime crowd to the closing of office spaces because there aren't people to fill them out, how many ideas are gonna be left on the sidelines because the two people who could have accidentally crossed paths in the office and sparked a conversation that led the business to a new idea will never cross paths again because they're never gonna be in the office together. There are economic side effects that we can't even foresee simply by people no longer going to offices. Now, I'm going to go back to the phones. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Glenn, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the program.
3: Hey there. I just wanted to call attention to something I noticed before, uh, that, that they leave out uh, carbon di- They leave out water vapor. I'm looking at the MIT Joint Program on the Science and Policy of Global Change, and I'll try to be quick. Water vapor accounts for 97% of the total natural plus man-emitted greenhouse warming of the planet. About 95% of that's water vapor. So spending billions of dollars to alter a few components left won't affect the natural course of climate change. And so in other numbers, 73% of the greenhouse warming gases, of those last 3% of the effect, carbon dioxide's 84%. Of the 84%, 84% of 3% is 2.5%. And the U.S. contribution to fossil fuels CO2 from fossil fuels is 14%, and 14% of 25% is 0.35%. In other words, it won't make much of a difference.
1: No, you really want. And I'm glad you bring this up. Uh, real hard data for people who want the data on this. Uh, the United States, if we were to stop everything tomorrow, would not have a major effect on the climate in the country in the world because China, Russia, Brazil, India, the BRIC nations, South Africa, and so many more developing nations are so fixated on um growing their economies to compete with the west they're willing to ignore their own self-imposed restrictions on emissions in order to grow and that means that it doesn't matter what we do we're still going to see emissions around the world grow unless you're really prepared to invade one of these countries and stop them from doing so and i suspect there are some rabid environmentalists out there who would be willing to do that jeff you're going to be up next welcome to the program
3: Hey Eric, how are you today on this April Fools? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Hey, I promise we have enough April Fools up in DC that not. I don't have an That's April truth. Fools joke, <laughs> but I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to wordsmith you a little bit on the misnomer that we that we call fossil fuels and the the mis the misimpression that we're we're burning dinosaurs is really not in scientific. Because you know I, the the term coal, petroleum, and natural gas really is from aquatic photoplankton and zooplankton, and it's not from from dead animals and I wanted to get your take on that as how it would relate to to uh to the progressives
1: yeah okay um so i I, I get the the word play and terminology here you, you you're not wrong on this uh the problem is. When we kind of accept things as vernacular we accept them as vernacular and so the odds of us changing uh terminology over time on stuff like this it's not really going to change and because it's not i don't know necessarily that we should quibble with it too much i mean there are certainly there are hills to die on and things to quibble with but i don't know that this is one of the things to quibble with um when when you or i say fossil fuel we know exactly what we're talking about and everybody else does too. Um, and to try to get the whole world to change is probably a bridge too far. All right. I got to tell you about Eden Pure and the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. You can get a three pack right now, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm three pack. You can get it, uh, for less than $200. Now, what is the Thunderstorm? It's an air purifier. You're thinking, oh gosh, you're going to saddle me then with filter subscription. No, because it's a filterless air purifier. It works with metal plates, The the um, the, the with static as the, the mildew, the mold, the bacteria, the pollen, they come through, they stick to the plates. You just wipe the plates off occasionally. But more importantly, it eliminates odors. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I got my essential oil. Yeah, but the essential oils mask the odors. They don't eliminate the odors. This eliminates the odors. And you can get three of them, one for upstairs, one for downstairs, one for keeping your suitcase. I literally keep an Eden Beer Thutters in my suitcase. So if I'm traveling and I have a rental car because you can plug it up in your car with a uh, USB cord, or I'm in a hotel room and it stinks I can use the Eden Pure and it wipes out the odors. So what you do is you go to edenpuredeals.com you put in my discount code eric3 and you can get 3 Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200 you're actually saving $200 and you get free shipping. It's edenpuredeals.com the discount code is eric3. Hello there. Well, we're almost at the end but there's still news to be made. There is a vote. There is a vote in the House of Representatives today to legalize the recreational sale of marijuana. Uh, Republicans uh, continue to be deeply skeptical of doing so. Democrats are largely open to it. Um, and, you know, so I get asked all the time on which issues have I evolved, and immigration is one, and and it's, it's actually both of them, uh, this and marijuana, are, To i I've evolved on it, and largely do so uh, with a a rethinking having gone to seminary and and thinking about stuff. Um, On the marijuana one, I had a lot of concerns about legalization, uh, but I'll tell you one of my biggest concerns is the disparate treatment between black and white offenders. And it actually is, there is a real thing. Um, The number of people I know who are white and use marijuana, who can get away with it and are probably never going to get stopped by the cops and never bothered versus the number of black people I know. It's it's remarkable. And I think there's a problem there. I also think it's inevitable, given the number of states that have legalized it, and even the Trump administration with Jeff Sessions as AG didn't walk it back, that uh, states that where it's not technically legal, in many places it is de facto legal. I mean, my goodness, you drive around, around Atlanta, you smell it all over the place. I go uh, over by my barber on the west side of Atlanta. Uh, there's somebody who sits on his balcony uh, every afternoon. If I go by and get my hair cut, he's there, and the whole place smells like weed. And nobody's going to prosecute him. Nobody is. Uh, he's not causing anybody any injury anyway. And I think the disparate treatment there um, makes me have to rethink things. And the House of Representatives, the Democrats intend to pass this. It's not going to actually become law, though, but there's a growing number of Republicans who want it. The other issue on which I've changed is is immigration. I used to be much more hardline, and I still am. I want to build a high wall. I want to keep out uh, illegal aliens. You should have to come through legally. But I also think that um, if they come here and we've let them come in, that uh, we should treat people decently, regardless of their legal status, even if I want them deported. And I also think we've got to be more open and willing to take refugees. And frankly, I think we need to be more open to boosting our immigration numbers. As our native population declines, we need more people in this country uh, across the board from technical to non-technical jobs because if they don't come here, they're going to go to China. And I would far prefer these people become American citizens than be people who collaborate with the communist Chinese. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Yeah, things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. you got the economy. you got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you.
0: 18 plus.